Best part of the day. Oh, this is great. So let me tell you something funny. So I get a call from one of my clients in custody, and his big complaint is that he can't get his, what is it, pescatarian diet. He's been trying to get it for months, and it's a problem, and he wants to send me all these sheets requesting fish and not meat and any of this stuff. And then I start talking to him about the pandemic and its effect on me and how in the last nine to basically 12 to, I guess over the course of nine or 12 months, I've gained about 10 pounds thanks to this. And he just didn't care. All he wants is his pescatarian diet. So I got to call the jail. I got to write the jail so he can get his fish. That was a fun part of my day. Pescatarian? Is that a real thing? Pescatarian? It's only fish. You eat fish and vegetables. Okay. It sounds like you're just calling him a pest and like naming his diet after his personality. (laughs) Clients are in custody that were able to manage their diet, exercise routine, and their access to the community in addition to their case. But today I had to deal with his pescatarian diet, although he was entertained by the fact that I've gotten fat over the pandemic. So that's the way it is. So well, I think everybody has. So. <laughs> I don't know. Well, thank God for relaxing with this. Yeah. And, and my other fun pet peeve today was the one millionth client who's discussed with me why there's no evidence, absolutely no evidence against him in this case. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's kind of like the um, 20 minutes into the conversation question that we get uh, like almost every single time, right? It's oh like, my God, there's no evidence. At, at the very end, it's just like, well, I just have one question for you. How is it that this is even going to trial when they have no evidence? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we both like look at each other and be like, okay, who's going to handle this one this time? What's you so, or me. What's so frustrating from like the view behind of what we do is to try and explain and get across to people who are ordinarily wouldn't give a flying fuck about the criminal justice system and the laws that are put into place by our government that impact people disproportionately or help to create wrongful convictions because it doesn't happen to their family or friends. But when it does, then they start to get interested. You have to explain all the shit that the government does that makes it a very realistic possibility that they can be convicted and then explain to them the rules of evidence and that you know a person who gives a statement to police actually has given evidence to the police which can be used at a trial to convict them. But they just don't care about that until the moment they're in your office. And it takes a Herculean effort to try and get them to understand this. But it's the lack of understanding or acceptance or wanting to care about what goes on in our society as a whole until the very moment that they or a family member is charged that sometimes I find very difficult to deal with because we're in a position of having to justify to our clients why there's a case against them in the first instance. And that, that's a challenge, and that's why I need scotch. I know. That's why scotch helps <laughs> when we actually decide to stop working. But um, I think it's kind of like you know the freedom of speech issue, where everybody says, oh, yeah, I support freedom of speech, although actually there's quite a few people now who say they don't. Um, but the important thing with that issue is that you don't know if you really support free speech until you find yourself supporting speech that you hate, right? And um, the reason that you have to protect that is because if you're not aware of the encroachment on freedom of speech and you don't stand up for it, then pretty soon it comes for you. Right. So. Well, I mean, what what I've found and, and, you know, what 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 our clients don't seem to understand and what what, you know, you get asked by friends and family, not my lovely wife, who who now understands the insanity that I work within is just what system this really is and how difficult it is to work within it and try and help these people when they come to us in such dire straits 
and get them through this system and understand it. And we talk about all sorts of great constitutional ideas and, and ways to protect things like freedom of speech and freedom of association, and we want to strike down all sorts of things to help people, like this case that we have with you know, prostitution laws where they originally struck down, then a conservative government came up with this new regime that's even worse. But you know, just trying to understand all this and get it communicated to the client and understanding what we have to do behind the scenes to get this you know, going for them and to try and get them to the place where they need to go is a massive challenge. And I, and I find that you know, what's frustrating is that is we don't have a larger discourse or discussion about this in the public domain about criminal justice because uh, people just don't give a shit. It's not politically, it's not politically expedient for our politicians. And you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit about what uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and his justice minister are going to do with mandatory minimums now. But I'm just so interested in how maybe it's because we practice criminal law and we work within the field that we care about it, we listen to it, like all the other stuff that comes out from our government, but how people really just don't pay attention to it until we're called in to help somebody who's charged. Yeah, well, I, I think there's like a bit of a language barrier to it as well. So like, you know, if, if you're familiar with legal language and you see a story, like you, you understand exactly what those what that means. Like the same thing if you, if you go on Canly database and, and read a decision, people will start freaking out because they're reading the top of the decision. And then it's just telling you the defense argued this or the crown argued this, but you don't actually know what the judge thinks until you get to the end of it, right? So if they don't understand the format and then they also don't understand the language because there's phrases that in common English mean something completely different. So then they misinterpret what's going on. It's the same thing I think with the news. So like when you see something in the news, I mean, when we first met, we're like, Bill C-51, it's catastrophic. It's like, I love you. That's that was the moment yeah. I fell that's in love the, with you. It's that's catastrophic. One of the terms I used, yeah. I'm like, that's my guy. That's the lawyer I'm looking for. Because I was sitting there for a week going, okay, well, I can see this bill is, is being presented. Where are the defense lawyers? Who's doing anything about it? There were people speaking up, but nobody was as freaked out as I was because I knew what was coming down. You're the, the first pipe. one I actually heard. I was I, waiting for I, a I whole week. I knew what was coming down the pipe, and I knew how difficult it would be for clients who were charged with these offenses you know, sexual assault cases and how to defend them and how it's going to completely screw up, uh, you know, the trial process and rob us of common sense. And that's what happened. And now we're in, you know, a completely different paradigm where things are just feeling like the twilight zone. But I think that's why, like, you know, when it does finally happen to somebody that they're charged and, um, you know, and especially like the shock for somebody, you know, when they're innocent is just like, how can this possibly be? And then we're trying to explain to them how complex law is, especially in sexual assault cases. And they're just like, you know, like you're saying, is like, how come you didn't realize that this is the system that they don't actually require any other evidence other than testimony of a, of a complainant? Um, it does seem absurd because... In the end, although it's not supposed to be a credibility contest, the guy has to testify in a sexual well, assault you can't Unless you obliterate uh, a complainant testifying, and I don't mean that in a sense to be offensive to people who are complainants, but unless there's magnificently huge flaws in their evidence with their credibility and reliability, you always got to call your client. But I think what, you know, at the base of what we're discussing that, you know, as, 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 a criminal defense lawyer and somebody who's an advocate and a researcher in criminal law is what I find really interesting about us as a society is that there's such a um, uh, a disregard for issues that are that are discussed within um, the political realm that comes down to really impact us and that people don't pay attention to it and we've seen in the last uh, year or so um, a number 
I guess, the last two, three years, a number of changes to our laws that have really impacted people's rights. And it's just like, it's just not being paid attention to. And, and then we see the incompetence that goes on, you know, at so many levels with our government, never mind criminal justice, but, you know, just dealing with the pandemic and getting vaccines and doing other things. I'm amazed at how people are not more interested in how our government functions and what they do. And, and just to bring it back to when we talk about criminal law, about how because the government didn't like a decision in Saskatchewan where a jury acquitted somebody of murder, and I'm not judging whether it was right or wrong, but that was a jury's verdict, and decided to obliterate 300 years of how we pick juries in Canada and not allow anybody to even ask a single question uh, or challenge a juror. You have to bring these applications. That's gone. People don't get that. There's, there's Bill C-51, which we spoke about with respect to sexual assault, and, and how really it's throwing out common sense and how the defense now has to disclose, you know, tons of evidence because nobody liked the verdict of Gian Gomeshi, which was a perfectly sound verdict. Yeah. And, and how, you know, there's so many other amendments. And then we've got an anemic liberal government now when they ran on, you know, reforming criminal justice and saying we're going to do away with mandatory minimums. They did nothing for many years until now when it comes to systemic racism, which they have to address within the criminal justice system, but they're doing it in such a selective fashion, it's, it's not nearly uh, enough to assist many people who are disproportionately impacted by you know, bad laws and bad prosecutions. What, so at the nub of this, it's like, how do we engage um, people in our society in Canada to actually pay attention to what people are saying, to what our, our politicians are saying, and actually take an interest. That's where, from sort of the behind the scenes, when you and I are dealing with clients and we're trying to address their issues and trying to focus them and win our, the cases because that's our job and we do a good job of it. But aside from that, to try and enlighten people about what else is going on out there, and it's like pushing, you know, it's like hitting your head against the wall. It's hard to get people engaged that way and understand it. And I just find that type of apathy, you know, troubling and only soothed by a really good, oh, it's only 10 year old, but it's still good. <laughs> it is actually pretty smooth. You know, I think that um, the internet has really had a big impact and the changing um, media landscape. So, I mean, we had, God rest her soul, Christy Blatchford, who was accurate when yeah. she went to court and she told you what happened in court you understood why the outcome was what it was, right? But um, depending on which news you read, you know, the exact same day in the exact same courtroom, you can get multiple different versions. So for people to understand what's going on, you actually have to have, you know, court reporters. And there are still a couple of them who, who are veteran, who know what they're doing. But um, Well, Sam Pisano's retired. Sadly, Christy Blatchford's gone. You know, Michelle Mandel still does a good job, but when she's interested on, but we don't have really that level of critical reporting where you want to really bring out what are the nuances of a case and make it understandable. We, we, we don't have that because it's believed from media that that's not of interest. And now what you want to promulgate on social media is going to be the truth. And we see what the problem with that is where you get all sorts of false information and, you know, misinformation about cases and about politics and all sorts of things. Just, you know, the regular mainstream media just doesn't care about this system. And, and it's, you know, it, it's shocking to our clients that these things happen, but nobody really cares. We're the only ones who care. Aside from our clients' parents, if they're alive, nobody else gives a shit like we do. And that's what puts the pressure on us to try and communicate this and then, you know, advance a case for them to, to try and win. Yeah, I have special sympathy for parents because I know like 
as a parent, you always want to protect your kid. And then this thing happens and they're just, they feel so helpless. There's like a unique kind of trauma that I think parents go through. But uh, Oh, it's, it's very difficult for families. Like, you know, we have one case where the, the, the family is going through hell. You know, I, you know we've, we're fielding calls. Like I, I, I take calls late at night. You do too on weekends and everything. And I'm sitting in, in bed and, you know, Marcy is sitting there with me and, and, and I'm talking to somebody's sister who's in tears, broken down about what's going on. And we're, we're talking on it. I don't know if it was a Saturday night or a Sunday night, honey. What was it? It was Saturday night. And, you know, fortunately, I had a scotch in my hand. Thank God to the pandemic. But, you know, we're sitting there and we're trying to give therapy to them because they're so broken about this and they can't understand how this is happening and, and, and why it's happening. And, and, and I'm having to give therapy to them and, and try and calm them down, which, never, which, which is, has nothing to do with my defense of the case. But they're going through such trauma. And, again, it's because people don't realize what laws we have and what's in place and how it's being dealt with and how in so many instances it's being applied wrongly. Mm-hmm. And and you have to really operate at such a level of not just being a lawyer and being accurate on the law and the facts and being creative and 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 you know vigorous in your defense of people, but applying the the empathy and 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 the the therapy to the clients and their families who take it really hard. And that's what's really draining. Well that's one of the big things that I hear from people too is like well, you know, I've got tons of people who can testify that I would never do this thing. And so it's just like, but the problem is when you go to court, they're looking at facts, they're looking at what's admissible evidence, and they have such little time that, you know, that's an important part of the job is to actually bring a person, create, you know, draw the picture of who this person is in the courtroom in a way that you can kind of attach to them and understand where they're coming from. But, you know, there's such little landscape in a way to work with. You know there is, and it, you know it's, in, and it, you know we shouldn't give the impression it's not fun because this really is, you know, doing this now. I can't imagine doing anything years. else. <laughs> no, and it's like I wanted to do this from a young age. People ask like, why did you want to do this? And I just did. I was intrigued by it, and I had the opportunity and worked doing other areas of law. I was a securities lawyer for about fifteen minutes, and I said, "Fuck it, I'm going to be a criminal lawyer." And I was trained by one of the best lawyers in Canada, and, I, and that was really wonderful. And I went out on my own, and I, I've got a great practice, and I've got you, and I've got a fantastic team, and people have been with me forever, uh, you know. And I've had former partners who are now in other positions who are wonderful people. So I've been blessed, and it's a great practice. And I don't want to give the impression that because of all the pressures on us to do what we do, it's not wonderful. It is really a privilege to it's do fulfilling. this. Fulfilling. It's fulfilling, and it's a privilege, and and it's a good system, and you get to litigate, and you get to cross-examine, and it's fun, and. You get to go to juries and do closings. It's great. And then you get these cases that are insane. Like, you know, I, I you know, one of my most favorite cases was, I, I can't name it, but there was this, I, my client was this dominatrix and there was this other person who was his, her client slash boyfriend and they were planning a conspiracy to commit murder. And while doing it, he was in an adult diaper and she was in this whipping outfit and they were having these recorded fucking sessions and it was absolutely hilarious. And it was a great case. And it was so much fun to to do. And that cross-examination, because they had hired the dominatrix's S-boyfriend to do the hit. And he, so he was the big snitch in the case. It Did was, they or was it just alleged? <laughs> it was really fantasy play. And, 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 and you know, the, the, the boyfriend should have known or should have taken it really just as a joke. But what was so much fun was cross-examining him mm-hmm. and, and going through the antics of how it was going about as to... How in any sense that this guy would have ever taken anything seriously 
while discussing this scheme, while one person's in a diaper, the other one's in a dominatrix outfit, everybody's fucking stoned. And it was just so much fun. It sounds like if it was a movie, you'd just think they should have oh, had a better script. I mean, this is fuck, totally unbelievable. It was great, you know? <laughs> and and, and it, this was a prosecution, you know, and ultimately we stayed. I'll leave it alone at that. But, you know, it was a drug-fueled, you know, uh, you know, fantasy play that maybe got out of hand, but it was not really what they said it was. But it was so much fun. And so in this business, you get sometimes these cases that are, you know, crazy and funny. You get to cross-examine on and... And it's just, you know, it has everything you could imagine in some bad Sunday night movie. And then every so often you get a case like where you can really do some good, yeah. you know, where you can strike down a mandatory minimum or strike down a law. Not that and the help government, uh, talking about Trudeau's government, well, all the things they changed, they didn't eliminate mandatory minimums. No. And there's been so many struck down that was no, like, oh, should have been at the top. And, you know, other lawyers are doing, a, defense lawyers are doing a fantastic job. You know, colleagues of mine are doing a great job. I'll do one shout out to Dirk Durstein in his office and, and others who are working really hard to try and strike down mandatory minimums and have done that. And we're doing it too, and we've struck a few down. And, 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 and the problem, though, is that, you know, our liberal government who says one thing does another. But that doesn't shock me. We're going to have you all vaccinated by September. What year? Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't take... That's the thing we forgot to ask. <laughs> Which year? Yeah, I know. Don't, just... don't get me started, but... Well, you it know, started out as like a couple of weeks, right? So everybody's kind of hunkering down, thinking, oh, I'm trying to figure out, well, how can I keep my business going? And how can I work around this little time frame? And now we're a year later. It's going to be, I, we remember exactly when the NBA stopped playing because of the pandemic. I had a trip planned for my youngest son for his bar mitzvah instead of a party, which would have been much cheaper and a ton more fun. And we had to abandon it because everything was shutting down. We're all terrified as to what's going on and over the course of almost one year there was not like enough thought about how we have manufacturing in this country to ramp up production of a vaccine and invest in that domestically and not rely on foreign companies it's amazing to me and and it was it was almost nine months ago or 11 months ago that I actually did a Facebook live because I was aghast at how there's not better plans with respect to long-term care facilities, how we didn't use our own military and specialized teams within military. But, but leaving that aside, let's come back to criminal law. Like, they, they did nothing about mandatory minimums. They don't give a shit about it. And yes, it disproportionately impacts you know, racialized communities. Absolutely. Indigenous, black communities. But it also has a disproportionate impact on other people. Like, we have a case right now where we're bringing a constitutional challenge for a poor young man who got wrapped up in a in a thing online and, and, and messaging and stuff, it wasn't good, but he's got autism, spe- autism spectrum disorder. And I'm not saying like that other case that's out there right now that, that he's not criminally responsible, but it's where somebody truly has this disorder and their emotional and social intelligence is, is significantly and profoundly impaired by this disorder. They're functioning quite well, but not at a level where they really have this appreciation. And I've got people like crown attorneys who are salivating just to put the person in jail for two or three years. And our government has the audacity to maintain these mandatory minimums, even when they impact somebody with certain intellectual and cognitive functions that are well below an adult. And I'm not saying anything about autism because there are many who are high functioning who will go on to have outstanding careers and lives and do very well. And we need more support uh, for these people to help them achieve their goals. But in this particular case, it's not somebody who has the emotional and social intelligence that they, that, that, that of an adult. 
and they can't be handled in the same way. And I'm begging and pleading, trying to get the judge and the Crown to understand where we're going. And I have to bring this application. And it's absurd to me that this government didn't realize that these mandatory minimums will impact people beyond racialized communities. It's going to impact other people. And it's shocking to me. Where's the substantive equality? There isn't it. They keep going on about substantive equality and charter rights for for um, women, but like it doesn't apply to to other groups or as a whole in society. I was like, I don't even understand, you know, what equality means anymore in our in our system. When I'm, you know, when you look well, at the way it gets interpreted, I know right? you have something different. That's my specialty of research, and it's yeah. just like, you know, I always say, well you know, my history of researching feminism and my opinions on it. But I always say that feminism is about equality. It's about changing what the word equality means. And, you know, it's bizarre to me to watch the same groups of people go in and argue substantive equality in one particular mindset. But then if the woman's on the other side, if she's the accused, then it completely reverses direction, you know? So it's like one set of rules. If I have a female accused, I'm almost inevitably winning. Yeah. Getting charges withdrawn even. Yeah. Like I, I don't think I've ever had a female accused and I haven't won the case, whether it's a withdrawal or an acquittal. It's not been a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, aside from, I think, one homicide. But leaving that aside, that was even reduced to a manslaughter. But yeah, it, it, it's unequal. Yeah. But see, a lot of this stuff too, like I, I really do think that social media and Twitter, I mean, you mentioned like that murder case that changed the way juries were selected, right? So that's the Stanley case where the, the, everyone called it the Colton Bushy case because yeah, that was and, the and kid that died, case. right? But look at the way that our justice minister denounced the jury decision without having been present in the courtroom to know what actually happened. Both the justice She announced minister, it on Twitter. Yeah, both the justice minister and the prime minister went on mainstream media and social media and essentially denounced the jury for the wrong verdict, which is... I haven't seen that in in my. It was like within years hours of, of the decision being announced. Absolutely, they they with in twenty eight years of my practice, I've never seen a government coming out that quick with such audacity to challenge a jury verdict and then act with reckless disregard for the rights of every other minority who comes before court. I mean, you know, they eliminated something called challenge for cause. That means. That, God bless you. That means that when, when we're selecting a juror, right? So there's this, arc, this system that we have for selecting jurors, okay? So I can challenge for cause without asking a question or announcing why I think somebody shouldn't be a juror. So you get 12 of them. And the crowd I haven't done a jury trial yet. <laughs> let's let's wait. So it may not excited. be as much fun as it was before. But, but here's the archaic system. So there would be a a number of jurors selected. They come up to the front, and here's the system. It's like, juror, look upon the accused. Accused, look upon the juror. And they fucking stare at each other, and I stand up with my client. But I make observations. It seems know, like there I should know. be some sort of weird music playing in the background. There isn't, but I, I, have, I, have a, I have one in my ear. But, you know, so, you know, I know the person's occupation, and I can see them. I know their age. And then I look at them carefully, and I look whether they can look me in the eyes and look at my client in the eyes. If they're looking down or looking everywhere else, you know, except looking at my client, I'm going to say challenge and goodbye. I don't have to say why, and I say it politely, challenge, thank you. You know, I don't say challenge, fuck you. But, you know, they go because I know they're not interested, because I know they're not able to judge the case because they can't look at me 
they can't look at my client, maybe because of the charge, maybe because of who my client is, maybe because they don't want to be there. Whatever reason, we need people who are interested. So we get 12 of those. It's not a lot, but it, it helps. And that's gone. So now, you know, you can have the first 12 people stand up, and unless I have a, what's called a formal challenge for cause, where I can ask a question based upon very restricted biases, like where it's what we call Park's challenge, where the accused is uh, black and, and, and the complainant's white, or in my case, a racial bias case, I'm doing somewhere Anything else. Anything enumerated in Section 15 of right. the Charter. But, but un unless you can ask those questions, it's like, juror, look upon the accused. The accused, look upon the juror. Mr. Newberger, I ain't got nothing, Your Honor. Thank you. It's just your first 12. And we don't know what's going to happen because we've been in a pandemic, you know, for a year now where jury trials have, for the most part, been down. I know. So how is it really Well, they working? talked about we reducing the number of jurors. And you know what's worse? Supreme Court of Canada said this was okay. I know. They said it was okay. 300 years of these peremptory challenges are gone. Just gone. 300 years of doing this. Why? Because one decision in Saskatchewan pissed off our prime minister and our then justice minister, and it's gone. And well, that does... Sorry. I, I know, I'm I hate, rant. I hate to interrupt your rants. Go ahead. If we really give a shit about protecting minorities, you know, racialized communities and minorities, these peremptory challenges are vital for a lawyer who understands what they're defending to help protect that client. And it's just gone. And nobody gives a shit. Not the Supreme Court of Canada gives a shit, with all due respect, in case you're watching. And I do like you guys. But, you know, you don't give a shit. And that's the problem. You really didn't give a shit. It's constitutional, and it's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong. We should have more access to information on jurors and have a civilized, polite way of making inquiries to root out biases. And that's vital. And we don't have that here. And, it, and, and I know they want to push us in the direction of having trial before a judge alone with no jury, which, in my opinion, is not a democratic process. So. And, and judges do a good job. Don't get me wrong. I think judges actually earnestly want to get the job done properly. I truly believe that. But they have pressures on them, tons of pressures, between their education about what to believe about myths. Their miseducation. Their miseducation. But, you know, what, whatever it is, they Trauma-informed theory. But they have a lot of pressures it's on them. junk science. But trial by your own peers, by members of normal people of our community, not us, who are grinded into the criminal justice system. You know, my head's like a fucking pencil. I, all I've known for the last 30-some-odd years of my life while I was in law school and practicing is criminal law. But you take 12 people from the community where we get to eliminate some, and they will have bring to bear truly a wealth of knowledge and information and a human experience. That we Common can't, sense. That we can't... I don't even know if that applies anymore. I, I but know. they can bring that to bear, but we should have the ability to have some say in the selection of a jury, and that's gone, and nobody fucking cared. Nobody cared. So I got to tell you, uh, I was speaking to a, a friend of yours who's a lawyer. Thank you, Mr. Prime Minister, and by the way, I don't, I'm not applying to be a judge, so <laughs> I don't care what you think of me. You ought to be. Um, but so I was speaking to a friend of Sorry, yours. Sorry, in case you want me to be a judge, but <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah, go ahead. I was talking to a friend of yours who's a very trusted friend. He's a lawyer in Vancouver. And I mentioned to him how upset you were about the jury selection Did he changes. tell you about how I like You know who I'm sandwiches? talking about. <laughs> no. Okay, so hang on, segue. So when he first joined my practice, okay, he had the same stomach that I did. And there was this place called Dante's, which still exists now, but in its original iteration, it was at Young 
and Highway 7, and it had this sandwich. Oh, my God. I, it, it came with a side of Lipitor. Like, you had to eat the sandwich and then inject something that would get rid of the cholesterol. It was amazing. It was this fried pepperoni, capicolo, sausage, smothered in mozzarella, and this amazing panini bun. It was death in a bun, and it was gorgeous. Death in a bun. And he loved it as much as I did. So when we moved into this office like 20 years ago, he would drive all the way to Young and Highway 7. By the way, we're at Eglinton and Avenue Road in case you want to come by, or Eglinton and Allen Expressway between Avenue and, and the Allen Expressway. He would drive all the way there to get these sandwiches to yeah, We're lunch. in the basement, though. So yeah, I know. If you but wanted he to find drive, us right now, we're in the basement. He would drive all the way there to get these sandwiches for lunch, and it was fucking amazing, and I love him for that. Mm-hmm. Michael Chaprey. Go ahead. I know. He's, he's delightful. He's incredibly good. Exceptionally smart. But so, yeah, I mentioned your concerns about the jury and he's just like, yeah, Joe likes juries. I'm not too fond of them. He didn't really care that much. I love juries. So, so but no, I, I find that's true. Like, oh, I've been only disappointed lawyers. four times in my career. And, and the majority of times that we've we run, I've run jury trials. And there are a lot of lawyers who've done far more jury trials than I have. Um, I found them to be interested um, willing to learn so that they take the instructions from the judge seriously and want to make their best efforts to understand the law. And they really want to try and arrive at the right conclusion. That said, we need to have a say in who the jurors are because there are jurors who come with inherent biases or come with certain issues that I can't root out at all now. I've never been asked to be on a jury. I've always wondered if there's something like if there's some sort of file on me or something like that where they know not to call me. She's opinionated. Don't call that stupid bitch. Maybe. But, you know, I think, I think you know, a jury trial is a crucible of a democratic system. What's a more basic exercise of democratic and, and due process rights than a jury trial? A trial before your peers. People... Well, what's one of the best movies? One of the best movies ever made, 12 Angry Men. Don't tell me you haven't seen that. I have. It's a really good movie. But I was trying to think of like a comedy that I saw about juries. But anyways, um, but, but it really is. And I'm not saying this to sound flowery right now. It really is a wonderful exercise of democracy. And, and where you, you know, juror, you know, where you put yourself upon the jury to make the decision and they try and get it hard. But we, but, but we can't escape the fact that people have issues and we have to have an ability to root out some of those issues by even something as meaningless in the mind of our prime minister as a, uh, as a preemptory challenge. Yeah. And robbing us of that has been, you know, I think, a major step back in due process, in a right to a fair trial. And I think it's, it's really wrong. Well, look at another change. Like, look at all the cutbacks to legal aid, right? So people who have oh, no yeah. people who have no choice, they have to defend themselves because they're charged. They don't have the ability to decide they don't want to go to court, right? So they have to go there, but they can't access legal aid. But then now all of a sudden we're providing free lawyers for complainants who already have a prosecutor who's taking their side of the you know, Well, don't get the, me started. So, <sighs> okay, so the whole demise of legal, legal aid has been going over for well over 15 years. It's chronically underfunded. Chronically. But, but leaving that aside, if you really want to help people who are on the lower end of socioeconomic status, 
who are racialized, or even those who are not racialized, but just fucking poor, and something happens, and they need a lawyer, you've got to fund a legal aid system. And we don't need a public defender system, so some person who has two, three, four hundred files who doesn't give a shit about your file, and I'm not really disparaging staff legal aid lawyers, because I know they try. Well, they but they don't the have the resources. Can. You can't in Canada create a system of a, of a federal public defender system like they have in the United States. We don't have the numbers, we don't have the money, we don't have the resources. So the system that we have here in Canada is good. Have a robust legal aid system. You can choose whatever criminal lawyer you want. All criminal law firms take legal aid. It's a percentage. Well, we're spending, Trudeau's more interested in spending money on decolonizing, which actually means erasing the state in the first place. He's just spending all this money on all this, like, you know, social justice stuff. When the actual, the actual justice system is just falling to the wayside. I, 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 really, I wish, I really wish one thing, and I've been saying this for the last year, I wish they would just admit they don't care about wrongful convictions anymore. They don't. I don't know a government that has. I don't know a government that cares about wrongful conviction. And this is where we come to, which is very interesting. We're supposed to be having fun, Joe. I am We're having fun. Depressed. But it's fun. But you know what? But this is what's great about criminal law. You're on the edge of interesting political issues, of real interesting political discourse in our communities. It's not just about the client who comes to me to defend him on a drug charge, on a sexual assault charge, on a, on a driving charge. It's about the iteration of this. It's about the ideology of where the law comes from and how we deal with it and, and what emanates from that. And, and that, that is what's interesting here because we talk about a larger dialogue. Often when we're litigating cases, sometimes we're looking at principles that are much, much more beyond what we're litigating. And sometimes it's just very pedantic. It's about just literally the facts in the case. But we're involved at a higher level. And that's what makes this interesting because we have to deal with these issues and we actually advocate on it. And criminal lawyers and people like you who advocate, and now you're part of my firm and you have your non-for-profit organization, which does great work, but we've teamed Thanks up to do this plug. stuff. Huh? Thanks for the plug. All right. <laughs> we'll do a plug for my book, The Dangerous Vendor Manual. But leaving that aside, we get to do this stuff, which is great. We get to be involved at a different level of, 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 of things that are involved in, in politics and social justice, and that's what's wonderful about it. And that's what's wonderful about the people who are in the criminal justice system working hard. And, I was and talking to a friend us. last night who, who does a lot of um, self-represented you know, litigation and stuff like that against um, teachers unions and things like that. But um, as an advocate, when I was just simply um, polemicist per perhaps, or like, you know, just um, ranting on YouTube and stuff, the problem was that you just felt helpless. And so the difference now, like being involved with you and having this opportunity, every single case is an opportunity to actually make a difference. Yeah. So instead of watching things and feeling helpless, I can actually do something, not just in a bigger picture. I don't think you can actually, this is one of the problems. People approach social issues as if they want to just talk about the bigger picture of the issue and somehow change it. But you have to actually go incrementally. Absolutely and so this correct. is an opportunity. Every single case argued in front of a judge is a case is a chance to to set some precedent. Every so often we get a judgment, even if it's a trial judgment. That may advance. Paragraph one eleven. Correct. Right? Major okay. fucking paragraph, right? I know. And we hope one. other people pick up on it. Yeah. But every so often you get somebody who gets it. And then you get something written in the judgment that will that will move the law forward in that way. And that's what's great. And that's what we're doing in this constitutional challenge for this poor young man. And that's what we did in that sex assault, assault, uh, sex assault fucking alcohol, 
Sexual assault case that we did, that we won. And that paragraph was amazing. We won all of them. I know. But we don't want to just advertise. <laughs> but, but. No, I'm so. But I, that we're paragraph. We're going to lose one one day, I know. But, but that paragraph could be transformative in a sense that it can, it can help jurors. It's restoring common sense. Right. It can help jurors look at certain We know actions. what we're talking about. Everybody else is just hearing like paragraph 111. I know. But, but it means something. <laughs> Our but, paragraph but goes to 111. But what's great about it is that we able, but every so often you're able to make law that will advance. But then you get the government to smack you in the face to push that back. And to try and teach people that common sense doesn't make... We had 10 smacks in the face in the last two and a half months of 2020. Thanks, Supreme Court. Ruling from the bench on seven sexual assault cases. Just remember this. Just, God forbid, we're in front of the Supreme Court of Canada in the next little while. We don't want them to completely hate us, okay? No, no, I know. But the thing is, like, it's like, hold my hat, you know? Well, they make a decision that's an important decision, that they had opportunities to explain why they were deciding one way or the other. Every single case, ruling on the side of the crown, just saying for the reasons of this or that. But let's so, be fair. It was how many cases? Seven? It was like, I think there was actually 10, but there were nine really significant ones that were all sexual assault cases in the last two and a half months of 2020. Okay, so our, our critique of that is this. And it's not that they are not thinking or not caring, but they're not articulating. And that's what's, what's the problem. We need to know their reasoning. Yeah. And it would be helpful to have... Maybe they were right in every case. Maybe they are right. But Although we need to know why. Some think they're absolutely wrong. But leaving yeah. that aside, <laughs> it would be helpful to have the reasoning to help us, to help other judges at the trial level see what their thinking is and see how we work the law. Not just simply dismiss without fulsome reasons. And well, that, that's all, an issue. There's a reason that there's that many cases on sexual assault issues. Yeah, because everybody's fucking confused. Because, yeah, because the new legislation's been passed, because people are having trouble interpreting previous decisions. So it's very clear. And, and in five of the seven cases that they ruled from, from the bench with just 20 minutes, hold my hat and I'll let you know what I decide. Five of those, they overturned the majority of the Court of Appeal. So that's fairly significant. We kind of need to know why. But the worst one for me, the worst one was they said, you know what, we've thought about it for 20 minutes and we haven't decided if uneven scrutiny is even a proper ground of appeal. We don't know yet, but we've decided it doesn't matter. So yeah. that particular decision um, has already, like immediately in the first few decisions in 2021, they said, <clears throat> well, we're, we're not quite sure what to make of that. Right. So, so all they did is throw shade. Right, so, so, so lower courts who look to them for, for you know, guidance don't have that guidance on an important issue. And I'm concerned that, frankly, if the Supreme Court of Canada were looking at the Maple Leafs right now and see that the backup goalie actually has two shutouts, they might, they might decide that he's not a good goalie and just dismiss it from the bench by saying he's not a good goalie without any reasons. He did get two Do you know, two, do you two know two the worst thing right? that ever happened yeah. in hockey? It was when they, they turned the puck knee on or something, so people apparently had, you know, had trouble watching where the puck was. Well, I couldn't see it, so they had that line. Yeah. So they, they made this like glow-in-the-dark puck or something for screens. That was the worst thing that ever happened to hockey. Anyways, it, but it's, it's troublesome to see what they I do. I want to say something positive about the Supreme Court. They, look, I don't, and I want to say this carefully. I don't believe that any court or judge doesn't care about what they do and doesn't put the thinking into it and want to do the right thing. What I'm concerned about is being influenced by forces and interests that are not legitimate in the grand scheme of things, that forces into a way of thinking that denies common sense, and where we really do need guidance from the Supreme Court of Canada, we need reasons. We need to know where they're going and why, 
to help us navigate the waters when we're defending these cases. The job is hard enough as it is, and the reality is it impacts human lives. Real people, real people, whether they are a complainant or, as the Crown Attorneys love to call them, victims, or an accused person and their families, we're dealing with real human beings, with real problems, with real grief, and we need to be able to know how to navigate the waters with some level of reason and some game plan in place so that we have a common understanding as to how to deal with it. And we're in a state of flux, and we're not getting there. Well, and we and have quorum, to do our job to try and, and, and create some sort of level playing field. And the quorum for a bunch of these decisions was only five of the justices, and they were split three to two. So it's not even a strong decision in these rulings from the bench. But, but I want to say something nice about the... Let's wrap it up soon. I know. I want to say something nice about um, the Supreme Court. Which is, did you notice, um, it, was, it was very recent, so you probably haven't, because we've been so busy. Justice Cote uh, was the, the one to actually read out her first decision. She was the, the lead recently. That's wonderful. I know. <laughs> yeah, I like Justice Cote. I, 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 we like them all. I expect good things from We her. like them all. The, the, the issue is we just need guidance, and we need... Do you know who I like is Justice Brown, because he's been dissenting, and it yeah, seems I'm, like... I'm almost... not going to approve or deny of anything you're saying. I well, we're not allowed to have favorites. We can have favorites. Back. I'm not playing favorites. Just because I, I, like what I want, the other what I want I don't like the is other reason so that we can understand it, so we can get some clarity. There are a lot of complicated issues they're dealing with. And, you know, when we're the players, we're in the trenches fighting. Yeah. And there are real lives at stake. It's one thing to read a transcript with appellate lawyers before you. It's another to be in the trial court in front of a judge or a jury with an accused and a complainant or, or witnesses or whatever and litigate that case with the emotions and the impact and the damage to everybody. That's reality. Yeah. So I, what I want to get across is we need some more guidance and some clarity and restoration of common sense so that we can do fair things to everybody. With that, I say next time we have a 14-year-old scotch. I think in a sherry cask. Uh, yeah, I know. We got to get back to work. Back to work. <laughs>